you're listening to an episode of the Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life podcast with your host, Kim Olver. This is Kim, and welcome to the 123rd episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. If you liked today's episode, be sure to leave me a review wherever you listen to your podcasts and share with your friends on social media. Just don't forget to tag me at Olver International. Today, I'm excited to have Dr. Shaniqua Jones as my guest to talk about her company, Purple Path, which everyone knows is my favorite color, and leadership. I don't know much about her company yet, but I know a little of Dr. Jones's story, and it's a remarkable one. I'm thrilled to have her here so we can learn together about the work she's doing. Knowing her, I'm sure it will be spectacular. Dr. Shaniqua Jones is a global leader and restorative justice practitioner expert, affectionately known as Dr. J, and for her brilliant ability to connect deeply with those who have been harmed and have caused harm through restorative justice and restorative practices. Dr. J has been called upon to remove barriers, alienating and dehumanizing people from all walks of life. Dr. Jones completed her doctoral degree in interdisciplinary leadership, specializing in higher education in May of 2016. Welcome, Shaniqua, and thank you so much for agreeing to talk with us about leadership, a topic I know you have something to teach us. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. I'm looking forward to this. I'd like to start with finding out a little bit about Purple Path. Purple Path is really the path to restoration. It all really came to fruition after doing the work for the last 12 years. And so for the last three of those 12 years, honing in on those skills as it relates to restorative justice, restorative practices, being more trauma-informed, providing training, signature talks, and things of that nature so people could understand what restorative justice is as a life application perspective. That's who we are, and that's what we do. Many, many years ago, I worked in a foster care agency and I took a training in restorative justice. So I know a little bit about that. Do you want to share with the audience what exactly restorative justice is? Thank you. Restorative justice in this essence is saying that there's a harm, some type of confusion, misunderstanding. It could be egregious, it could be heinous, and it could be the total opposite. But someone feels offended. Someone feels as if their dignity has been violated. And so now restorative justice comes into play where people have a safe and brave space to express how they felt about that particular situation, be solution-oriented in our approach to figure out ways to be whole again or as whole as possible. So that's what restorative justice is. Most times people think about it as it relates to schools or our juvenile detention centers. But when we understand that restorative justice is a way of life, how do we implement it into our home? How do we humanize our own experiences so we then can humanize the experience of people we encounter and then from there be able to bridge the gap find more of the similarities opposed to the differences because the world will do whatever it can to divide us. But what are some tangible and sustainable ways to move forward so that, again, we all can be whole again or as whole as possible? So most times when I start trainings, that's the question I start with. What do you need as a person to be whole again or as whole as possible? And that's a loaded question. And sometimes the answer can be something immediate, but then the answer also takes you back to your childhood. So being able to work on those different elements of your life that you have to heal from so that you, again, can be whole. I love that. And I know that restorative justice often has the the offender make restitution to the victim. What happens if the offender is not interested in making restitution? How do you still work with victims who may not get that closure that they may like? 
Exactly. So when you think about it from a traditional sense, most times victims are re-victimized because they're antagonized or intimidated through that process. And what they've experienced is not more about getting to the gist of the root, but it's more about proving who's right versus who's wrong based off of allegations and questions that are being asked that will further perpetuate violence. Our goal is to make sure that whoever is committed to the process receives the support that they need so that they can move forward and not be held to a standard of having to still live in a place of PTSD and or PTSD that we don't talk about. You know, we talk about post-traumatic stress disorder, but we don't talk about persistent traumatic stress environments saying that this is something that's current in terms of trauma that they are living through day in and day out. And so what type of supports do they need that's conducive to meet their needs so that, again, they can be whole? And again, there will be times where someone may not want to be forthcoming. They were part of the process, but it became too overwhelming for them. So you have to learn how to meet people where they are. And that comes with a natural and a spiritual discernment to make sure that you do not be placed in a predicament where you're creating more havoc for a person who wanted to be forthcoming and wanted to be solution oriented and wanted to walk away with their dignity. I really like that because it doesn't hold the victim hostage to what the perpetrator does or doesn't do. So there's a path for them as well, which I think is terrific. I love that. You have some personal connection to restorative justice, don't you? I know. I think I've heard you say that restorative justice has changed your life. Can you share that? (laughs) Most definitely. For me, most times when people think about tragic situations that have occurred, they tend to think of it from a place of resilience as if your entire life has been dysfunctional. But for me, I really had a humble beginning. And it wasn't until I was about 15, being raised in the church as a preacher's kid, that I just walked away from that foundation because I thought the streets had something better to offer. From the age of 15 to 26, I pretty much lived a life of hell from teen pregnancy to undiagnosed mental illnesses because that's not something that was normalized in our communities or even in our households. Poverty, a few attempts to take my life, then the psychiatric ward, rape, sexual assault, then more pregnancies on top of those teen pregnancies when I was ill-prepared then and still was ill-prepared, very dysfunctional in terms of my mindset, angry, disgruntled feeling as if being alive was more of a waste of time and not really looking towards the future because most times when we want to encourage someone, we want to encourage them with the right set of words. And sometimes no words are better because if someone is hopeless and they haven't been exposed to anything outside of their norm, them wanting to be hopeful is obsolete. And so from those different instances, along with overcoming cervical cancer in 2005, giving birth to my last and final child as a result of rape, is just, you know, to be able to overcome those obstacles through education. And I am a believer. I believe in God with my whole heart and soul. And it's um, empowering and very liberating to be able to say that because I remember walking away from that foundation that my mother and my church home had pretty much provided for me in terms of learning how to pray for myself, in terms of learning how to advocate for myself from a spiritual and respectful perspective. And so it just came back full circle. When I started taking my education seriously, and really getting the help that I need so that I could walk away from a poverty mindset, along with all these things are happening simultaneously, starting to be seen and recognized as a leader in my community, starting with forgiving myself. Then this, this is all happening while sitting in a classroom. And that's why I'm so huge on education, because when you think about what people experience, most times when you think about those public sectors of education and the workforce, you don't have the opportunity to be humanized, let alone humanize someone else. 
when you are in these different public spaces, it's more about a skill set. What are you able to bring to the table that will allow the mission and the vision of that organization to thrive? But we don't talk about your history or your backstory that may be traumatic and may cause more grief in a workplace environment or any type of organization. If you are working from the unhealed part of yourself, making decisions based off the part of you that you haven't forgiven. And so being in that classroom and learning about restorative justice while I was receiving my bachelor's and master's degree really just kind of set the tone for moving forward in a way to shine the light on restorative justice from a life application perspective. All of that trauma and everything that you've just described really makes you uniquely qualified to do this restorative justice. If I could wave a magic wand and take all of that away, I would. Nobody likes to go through any of that crap, but you lived through that. And now you've made your life about helping others be able to get through that as well. That is so inspiring to me. I just Mm -hmm. think that is amazing. Wow. So who is Dr. Jones? Because now you're doctor. I met you when you were Shaniqua and just came out of your fight with cancer. Now, here you are almost 17 years later. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. To me, that went like this. It was just a blink of an eye, but I'm sure a lot happened in your life. So who are you now? One, I'm love personified. When people ask that question, the reason why I think that question is so prevalent is that people tend to tell you what they do for a living. They tend to tell you about the accolades and the accomplishments and their different roles and capacities in their communities and so much more. But to my core, I'm love personified. We live in a world that will say because of the things I've experienced and the research that support the things I've experienced that I would not have been able to come out on the other side as successful as I have been able to do so. And my children would not be able to be successful because of the traumatic experiences they witnessed, whether it was directly or indirectly, because I, as their mother, experienced so many different traumatic situations. And so we defy the odds. So I'm love personified. I'm a child of God. (laughs) I'm grateful. I'm blessed. I am happily married. It'll be 10 years next month. I'm a mother of five children, ranging from ages 15 to 23. I am a part-time caretaker for my 82-year-old mother. I run Purple Path full-time and now Jones Academy of Excellence full-time as well. And I think we'll be able to talk about that briefly as well. But that is who I am, is love personified. What I do is everything that came after that. (laughs) That is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. And I'm looking at the sign behind your head that says, a journey not shared is a soul not healed. Could you say something about that? Because I agree with that. That's my life's mantra. (laughs) To the extent we got a trademark, like, hey, this is it right here. I was in my doctoral program when I wrote my very first self-published book. I was featured in two other books prior to me writing my first self-published book. But you know, going through my doctoral program, everything was about research, research, research. And so I needed something to unwind and to unpack, realizing that I was in a place in my life where I never, ever thought about like, that was not part of my plan growing up. You know, I usually, when you're around in sixth, seventh grade, maybe going into your first year of high school, you might have a teacher ask you, what do you want to do? What do you want to be when you grow up? I wanted to be a child support lawyer. (laughs) Okay. That word was heavily used in my household. And I'm like, you know, maybe that's what I need to do because everywhere I go, I'm hearing something about some type of child support, whether it was something negative or something even positive. In the midst of my doctoral program, I was really in awe of how God was operating my life to the extent where I'm like, I got to write about some of the things I had to go through to get to this point. 
that was my way of unpacking and unwinding. And even going back to childhood journals, I was able to get a hold to and start incorporating some of those things about my life or my perspective of life when I was younger. And what does that mean now as I'm transitioning to this full adult Black woman who has who's starting to see that she has a platform and I could use my platform for good and not have pity for myself for the things I experienced growing up or those experiences from the age of 15 to 26. My journey not shared as a soul, not healed in essence is saying that we all have a story. We all have a backstory. We all have a background. We all have history. And some of those things are very hurtful to the extent where we're not operating as our full selves because we're still being held bound by the things that we could or could not do, the things we could and could not control. And so what would that look like for you to just share one thing about yourself from your past so you can be liberated and be free and set free from that past trauma so you're no longer in bondage? So it's very important that we share our story with at least one person. You never know the type of impact you will have by being forthcoming in a way that's respectful and conducive to meet the needs of the people you're serving. That's part of your audience at that particular time. So there are times where people might get more details than others, depending on just being able to read the room. I absolutely love the idea of sharing your story to help others. One of the things that I talk about in my work, I've created this acronym called the GLOW. And I think you found your glow. When we go through painful things, if we could change them, we would, but we don't get to change them. All we get to do is let them destroy us or triumph through them. The glow helps people find the benefits of having been through those things. So the glow stands for gifts, lessons, opportunities, and wisdom. And when you say your love personified, I agree. And I also see you as glow personified in my world because you've taken all the horrible things and you've turned them into something so good and positive and helpful to others. Whenever we go through something painful, if we survive it, we always have the opportunity to help others going through the same thing. We don't always take that opportunity, but you have that opportunity. And when I see what you're doing, it's phenomenal work. And if anybody could be jaded and angry and sad, it's you. And to see you, it's amazing. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. What's next for you? I'm even afraid to ask. (laughs) Purple Path is my for-profit organization that successfully ran um, for the last three and a half, four years, even though we've been doing the work for 12. When you hear me say we, I might be the face and be on the forefront, but definitely have a team that works behind the scenes to support the work that I do. The good thing about it is that I semi-retired from the typical workforce in terms of working a nine to five, and I work for myself all the time now and lead these two organizations, Purple Path and Jones Academy of Excellence. And one of the things that's very unique and to be celebrated is the fact that I homeschool our three youngest daughters in the midst of the pandemic, because even when they had the ability to go back into in-person learning, I did not like what I saw as an educational administrator, let alone if I had to think about it from a child's perspective, it was very frightening due to the amount of COVID cases There was this lack of decorum and posture and tone and compassion and empathy that already was at a significant decline before the pandemic, but in the midst of the pandemic and coming back in the midst of the pandemic and being out of school over 500 plus days, I just didn't see it being conducive to meet their needs, like their emotional well-being and their current state of mind and what they have experienced. Because most times there's this level of ageism in school because children are children 
they don't have feelings and they don't have emotions. But by law in the state of Illinois, we talk about restorative justice. We talk about social emotional learning. But these are just terms that we utilize and pick them up and put them down when we get ready. So I made the decision to fully take all three of the youngest girls out of school, not just one, not just two, (laughs) three, and start homeschooling them and utilizing all the tools and resources and skills that I had easily made available in my work assignments. And I brought that home. And because of the success that I've been able to see in my own children and using them pretty much as like beta testing to make the decision that when parents were reaching out to me and say like, Dr. Jones, I trust you. And now that you're no longer in this particular school district or you're not around in this capacity, we definitely could fill the void. So if you ever decide to homeschool other children, please keep me on the list. And I jokingly, I'm like, okay, that's great. (laughs) I can probably help you to be empowered so you can do it yourself. But I don't know if I will take on other children, but here we are taking on other children. And so what you have now is Jones Academy Excellence will be the very first full online restorative justice high school in the world that also specializes in programming for first-year GAP students who freshly graduated from high school this year, but still feel ill-prepared or need additional support to navigate what the next level of their life holds. Because we tell our children too many times in the schools that we're preparing them for the real world, when in actuality, they're living in the real world and probably have even more experience than we would believe if we learn how to see them for who they are and humanize their experiences. That being said, the very first full online restorative justice school in the world starts September 12th. Yay, that is amazing. (laughs) You are an incredible woman. I just feel like your faith in God allows you to walk the paths that open for you and just trust that that's what you're supposed to be doing. Like you didn't plan to do that. Oh. God planned for you to do that. And yes. it feels so right. I can tell by the smile on your face and the energy in your voice that that's something that, wow, just wow. Thank you. Amazing. You mentioned a book. I don't know if you have more than that first self-published book, but if you have books or a book, is there a way that audience members can get a hold of that? Most definitely. So I'm actually working on my 11th book now. I have 10 publications that are all available on Amazon, Walmart, definitely on my website at purplepathbydrj.com. Also, you can check out our new website, which is Jones Academy of Excellence to learn more about our curriculum, learn more about what we have planned, what makes us so unique outside of being the first restorative justice, online restorative justice high school in the world, other different things that we wanted to change in terms of creativity and exposure. So this really is about life application, about that life application perspective as it relates to restorative justice, restorative practices. Our children will have the ability to learn about restorative justice at its core. Everything that I've learned over the last 15 years, um, you know, whether it was um, from my own life experiences or what I've learned in terms of book knowledge and theoretical frameworks, I'm bringing it all to the forefront, brought on some educational consultants in areas that I'm not strong in so that they have a robust educational experience. They will have their very first study abroad trip summer of next year. And the goal is to make sure that they learn Spanish over the course of this next school year. And in the process of learning about Spanish, be able to go to local Spanish restaurants, Hispanic communities, be more inclusive, be more knowledgeable about something outside of their comfort zone so that when we go to Spain or Mexico in summer of 2023, they're able to take all the skills, tools, and resources they've learned over the course of this next school year to incorporate it into our trip. How exciting. And I imagine some of these children have never really left their neighborhoods. So what an amazing opportunity that will be. 
Yes. Research shows that when children have the ability to be exposed to something outside of their norm, whether it's functional or dysfunctional, it gives them something to hope for. So when adults are coming to say, hey, you have so much to live for, they have an idea what living could possibly look like outside of what they see on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And so the research just shows that there's a significant decrease in youth violence because of the ability to see something outside of their comfort zone that gives them hope and give them something to dream and look forward to. Can I just say, I'm really happy that you're on the planet. That's what I want to say. (laughs) Thank you. Look, I'm definitely glad to be here because I can recall the days when I didn't feel that way. Right. We need to have more living testimonies. We have, especially with social media, we have so many people that talk about the highs, but don't talk about the valley lows. And so people feel ill-equipped. And of course, comparison is the thief of joy. And it happens way too often. The pandemic has shined the light on the inadequacies as it relates to accessible and tangible resources in regards to our mental health and mental illness. And that level of isolation requires us to really reassess how we humanize ourselves as well as others. Yes. Agreed. I've come to the end of the questions I wanted to ask. I'm just curious if there's anything you'd like to add that we haven't already talked about. I'm thankful for my support system. Being a leader is not always easy. And in order to lead, you have to be able to follow and you have to be able to humble yourself, not humble yourself to the extent where you dim your own light, but humble yourself enough to be able to hear and see things for what they really are and do not allow the notoriety that comes along with leadership to deter you from doing what you were called to do. I'm always ending my conversations where I choose fame is not it whatsoever. I choose freedom. I choose freedom over fame. And love. And love. Yes. Yes. My freedom is love. Yeah. Beautiful. It's easy to hate. (laughs) And it's unfortunate that we live in a world where it's easier to hate than it is to love. But that is because there's so much unhealed parts of ourselves that's navigating this world carelessly that if we had the ability to just look at someone dead in their eyes and ask them, how are they doing today, that we stick around long enough to hear the response. And the response may not always be the typical, I'm good, I'm blessed, I'm highly favored but be able to see people for who they really are so that they can live and not just survive. Yeah. Wow. I have really enjoyed this interview. Do you have anything coming up that you'd like to tell the audience about? Always go to our website or follow us on Instagram at Purple Path by Dr. J or Jones Academy of Excellence. You always stand to know the work that I'm doing with the Cook County Southland Juvenile Justice Council. We're embarking on a great journey in regards to training people authentically about restorative justice and restorative practices. And so we have a lot of free seminars and webinars and workshops that we offer month to month. So, you know, always stay tuned with what we're doing online, either that's through the website or again, following us on our social media platforms. And then also to school starts September 12th. And we're definitely excited. We have seven strong students right now. Our goal is to at least reach 12 students because we do want a nice, small, intimate group of students from different walks of life so that we can give them exactly what they deserve in terms of not just a quality education, but a quality life experience. Terrific. If people wanted to reach out to you for further information, how could they contact you? Either purplepathbydrj.com or jonesacademyofexcellence.com. Okay, I'll make sure I get those in the show note. Thank you for that. Dr. J, I really appreciate you joining us today to share your passion with us. I'm certain you provide an excellent example for our listeners to aspire to. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and remember to leave a review and share with your connections on social media. 
I also hope you'll join me next week when I'll be interviewing Marie Hale from Revolution. I'm looking forward to it. Talk with you then. This has been another thought-provoking episode of Life Equals Choices, Choices Equal Life. To listen to past episodes, please visit our website at lifeequalschoices.com or listen wherever you download your podcast. And don't forget, remember to subscribe.